Hello and welcome to another episode of Building Success, a real estate podcast. My name is Nick and I will be your guide as we talk to some of the best and brightest in the worlds of real estate tech, operations, and financials from across the globe. This podcast would not be possible without listeners like you, so if you like what you hear and you'd like to hear more of it, please think about subscribing on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a rating and review as that really lets us know how we're doing and help keep the podcast going. Today, I am speaking with Justin Siegel. He is from Boxer Property, and today we talk about blockchain, and you may have heard of blockchain in the past as it relates to Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, but the applications of the technology go well beyond that, and we really dive into how it affects real estate, how it can and probably will affect real estate in the future, and Justin and Boxer Property have already implemented blockchain technology at their own business uh, with the help of technology that Justin has co-founded in Stemmons Enterprise. So we dive into all of that, um, really break down what blockchain is for those of you who may not know, um, some more technical details surrounding it, but then really where that's going and the future of blockchain in real estate. So without further ado, let me present to you Justin Siegel. So I am joined today by Justin Siegel, president at Boxer Property. Uh, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. And uh, before we get started on our topic, which is blockchain, um, I'd love to start with a little bit of background on you and what led you to Boxer and to our topic today. Okay, uh, great. Um, well, I was I was involved in Boxer from the very beginning. My my older brother Andrew started the company uh, while I was still in college, so it was a great summer gig for me to go and help him uh, in the on the very first day of the business. Uh, this was back in 1992. Uh, we started buying uh, distressed office buildings. Our our initial properties were in Dallas, and through the early and mid 90s, we grew through Texas and uh, opened up other markets and so forth. Uh, today we have about 150 properties across the country, about 1,400 employees all in, and we've expanded into uh, hotels, retail, uh, restaurants, and obviously uh, still a lot of office buildings. Okay, so let's let's talk about blockchain. Um, if you could start by explaining kind of the concept of blockchain, I know for many, myself included, um, I've heard blockchain in the context of cryptocurrency, but um, from what I've been reading and, and starting to look up before this call, it seems like it's, it's really starting to dominate a lot of other industries. Can you kind of just provide a, a synopsis of what blockchain is? Sure. Um, it, it's a very hot topic these days, but I find that a lot of people use the terminology and don't necessarily have a working definition. Um, I think it's similar in many ways to the way people think about the Internet. And it's an interesting challenge question to say to somebody, hey, do you use the Internet? Do you know what it is? And they say yes. And then you say, can you define it for me? And you get kind of a, a little bewildered look sometimes. Um, so I, I would think about that as a proxy. And if we said, okay, what is the internet? It's basically a series of computers that are connected um, and interact with each other using an established set of protocols. And that's a great place to start when we describe blockchain as well. Um, so think about 
blockchain in general. And I'm going to start off by talking about the public blockchain um, or one uh, of several public blockchains, and we can later maybe distinguish between public and private. But a, a public blockchain is a series of computers that are owned by uh, different people, individuals or, or companies sometimes. And those computers interact with each other and share information, typically replicating information between themselves using an established set of protocols. And when they do that, uh, they use very complicated math problems, basically. They, they keep track of things using uh, complicated math that is resource intensive and requires a lot of processing power and so forth. And that's the blockchain. Um, now, what, what happens with it is a, is a bit of a longer conversation, but generally speaking, the reason that people call it a distributed ledger is because it's distributed in the sense that there's many different computers that are owned by different people. Um, so if you want to uh, hack into it and corrupt something, you would have to do it with all of them in order for them to, uh, to, to really be compromised. Um, and then it's a ledger because what it's doing is it's keeping track of things like you would kind of in an old-fashioned ledger. Every time something happens, you write it down. And th this is what is particularly interesting about the blockchain is that you have a lot of different computers, and if they don't agree, then we know that there's a problem. But if they do agree, then we know that something happened when we said it did and that the information is accurate. So uh, carrying on, what happens is these computers are um, connected together. Uh, they're sharing information, and somebody is paying for all of this. These computers are very sophisticated, and they use a lot of power. They need a lot of cooling, and somebody has to pay for that. So you think about why would somebody, and, and this is what we call a, and now I'm talking about the Bitcoin blockchain as a good example, why would somebody contribute their computer hardware uh, their connectivity, their power bill, and so forth? Well, the answer is that as the blockchain processes this information, it rewards the people who are contributing their computing power by giving them, uh, in this case, Bitcoins. So if you're a Bitcoin miner, you put your computer on the blockchain, it does all this math, it keeps track of a bunch of things, it makes sure that it agrees with the other computers, and in return for that, you get something of value, namely a Bitcoin or a piece of Bitcoin, um, and there's some mechanism as to, as to how that actually happens, but basically that's what powers the blockchain. And then you can use those Bitcoins to do things like buy stuff in the real world or to um, avail yourself of the services of the blockchain itself. And so what it sounds like to me from kind of a layman's standpoint is, is you're creating a system of witnesses and individualized records to prevent, in a lot of instances, you know, fraud, right? You could think of it this way, is, is if, if you and I were having this conversation just between the two of us, um, you know, my word would be as good as yours. But if we were having the conversation in front of a large audience, and every single person in the audience was hearing what we were saying and later um, voted, on, on which version of the conversation was accurate, then we would have a lot more trust in the situation um, or in, in whatever telling of it we were, uh, we, were, we were suggesting was the truth. So what's happening is with all these different computers kind of agreeing on things, we're decentralizing the, the trust associated with a given transaction. In other words, we don't have to go trust one record keeper 
um, we can we can believe that the system is correct if everybody who's participating in it says it's correct. And when people talk about blockchain having the opportunity to uh, eliminate the trust deficit, that's really what they're saying, is that we don't have to trust one company or one person or one system or, in many cases, one government. Um, we, we can trust the blockchain overall. So let's let's talk about some examples. And I want to get into real estate in a bit, but... Um, outside of real estate and, and the cryptocurrency, what are some other industries where, where blockchain can and, and probably already is being utilized? Sure. Well, uh, first of all, currency is, is something that people talk a lot about. And I, and I, would, I would distinguish between two types of currency or you know, rather than saying currency, maybe we can talk about things that hold value. Sure. So we have something like um, a dollar bill, which carries value and it and it you know standing behind it is the the US government um, but if somebody wants to use uh, a store of value that is not trackable or enforceable or so on and so forth or related to a government then they might use something like uh, like a Bitcoin and that's what I would think of as a general currency there's also specific use currencies that are uh, that would allow you to do a very specific thing uh, for example, uh, Airbnb might float a coin that is usable to uh, rent Airbnb um, accommodations that are that are marketed through their site, or McDonald's might um, create something that allows you to trade it in for hamburgers, um, and so on and so forth. And so you're seeing some specific use things come up, um, and this has been the subject of a lot of rampant speculation, but some of them actually do represent real value, um, and that's one use that we're seeing. But when we, when we want to get past that, we have to understand why is it that something of value is tradable on the blockchain um, in a way that's different from kind of doing it uh, in, the, in the normal way. And the idea is that it, it, the blockchain can really track kind of who has done something, and in this case it's who has purchased or who owns that currency. But we don't have to use that capability of the blockchain for the purpose of establishing who owns the currency. We could do it, for example, to say who signed that document um, or who approved uh, that budget. Um, so there's a, there's a whole world of transactions where somebody's involvement or, or um, participation in a transactional chain is something that we want to have on the blockchain. For example, maybe you and I are, um, uh, maybe you're a mortgage lender and uh, I have to give you a bunch of information about my assets and income and employment and so forth and we want to make sure that all of those things have been submitted to me and that they're in the proper form and that nobody can question whether I submitted those things in a timely way uh, or what the information was on there. So if we do that on the blockchain, we don't have to go and audit the mortgage file and, um, you know, have a state inspector come and, and look through the files every quarter and so on and so forth. It's basically there, and we know it's there. So there's, there's a whole world of kind of transaction administration that could be very interesting in blockchain. Um, you know, and, and this can go to things, not even just complicated things, but, hey, uh, maybe I bought a ticket for a concert, 
and uh, I want to be able to sell that ticket to somebody else, and they want to make sure that um, it, it, I didn't sell it to two people. So I can only sell it to one person, the blockchain will make sure that uh, the person that I sell it to has actual rights to use that ticket. Um, this, this kind of rights transfer is another important thing that is happening in blockchain. So if you think about, um, for example, today, if you were to buy, uh, you and I were to start a company together, um, and I owned half the company and you owned half the company, and I wanted to be able to sell uh, my shares in the company to somebody else, maybe I could do that on blockchain, and then uh, there wouldn't be a question in the future as to whether this new person was actually uh, an owner or not. And similarly, maybe they want to look at the partnership agreements uh, to make sure that it's the version that you actually signed that allows them to purchase an interest on it, and they can do that uh, on the blockchain as well and know that it's the operative document uh, and that the version that I'm showing them is, uh, is in fact the version that you agreed to. Those kinds of transactional things are also very much possible on the blockchain and possible in a way that, again, we don't have the trust issue that we would have if we were relying on somebody else's representations or somebody else's record keeping. So we wouldn't have the trust issue. Talk to me a little bit about privacy and security. Is this Would this all be public information that's being shared since so many people have access to the records, or is there a way to, to kind of make it more confidential about what is actually being um, shared across all of these different computers? Well, I think there's, there's, there are many ways to protect privacy. Um, you know, if you, if you put something on the blockchain, somebody still has to get it, and then you look at what it is and you determine, um, you know, whether that is something that could be used in a way that would cause a problem for somebody's privacy. So in some cases, we might store actual information on the blockchain. Um, for example, let's say we're talking about medical records. And we say, well, you know, we're, we're going to put that information on the blockchain or on a blockchain. And, and again, we really haven't gotten into the difference between public and private, but, um, you know, there's certainly a world of private blockchain where this security conversation is no different than what you would have uh, if you were just talking about a company's database, you know, like your, your hospital, for example. Um, but let's say, let's say we're talking about storing medical records on the blockchain. There's one version where we can put the records on the blockchain and make the access to them available to anybody. And another version where we can make the access to them available only to people who have a, a particular code or a key. And so uh, now that code or key really is the thing that is important with respect to privacy, uh, kind of in the same way that if I gave you my account information uh, for my bank, and I gave you my mother's maiden name and a whole bunch of uh, things like what's my favorite sport and so forth, you could probably call up the bank um, and get them to tell you things because you had the information that they consider to be um, uh, operative to unlock the security aspects of that information. So you could you could put the whole thing up there, let anybody see it. You could put um, information up there and make it available only to somebody who has the right code, and then furthermore, you could do things like make those codes um, expire after a certain amount of time uh, or only be uh, available to unlock certain information. Um, for example, I might want you only to see the medical records uh, over the past six months, and, and maybe I could do that as well with the code. So I think it, it doesn't really 
create privacy issues in in the way that one might think, because you can also decide what you want to put up there and how you want to make it available to people. Um, and not everything has to go in a public blockchain. Got it. Got it. So let's let's talk about real estate and where where possible applications for this blockchain technology might lie. Okay. So, I mean, first of all, there, there's there's a lot of conversation about um, chain of title, and so uh, if you're familiar with with how uh, title insurance works uh, and how land records work and so forth. Um, if, uh, if, if somebody is going to buy a piece of property, they get uh, the legal description of the property and maybe a deed, and they would go to the recorder's office and they would trace that back um, to make sure that there was a chain of title uh, going all the way back to some period of time um, where, where they felt that it was a reliable ownership. So they would want to trace it back, and then they would trace it back the other way to make sure that it wasn't sold to two people. So if you sell me something, uh, I might want to trace it back five or six people uh, earlier in the chain of title and then go in the other direction and make sure that none of those people sold that to more than one person, therefore giving you a defective title. And that way I know I'm buying something that you actually can sell me. Well, with blockchain, that, that, that can happen much, much, much more elegantly. Um, because there, there's a computerized and, and non-fakeable record of that. So we, we can just kind of go back down the chain, and we know that it hasn't been sold to two people because you can only transfer it to one person on the blockchain. So that, that would be one thing, and there's a lot of conversation about how the title um, market and the recording and title insurance and anybody who has ever bought a piece of property or been taken out uh, to a basketball game by uh, the local title insurance company knows that getting rid of all of that stuff and getting rid of the insurance that comes along with it would be a significant disruption to an important part of the industry. So that's that's one, uh, is just records. The next thing is is actual transfer of ownership or property rights. So for example, right now, uh, I'm, a, I'm a landlord and I'm uh, giving you the, the right to use space in my property. I sign a lease with you, and that lease document is the document that gives you and controls your right of access to uh, to that property. Well, if you want to um, enforce that or sublease it or um, you know do any number of things with that, we're just working with a paper document, and it's it's difficult to I shouldn't say difficult because we're all used to it, but we, we, we rely on that paper document to um, show your interest in the property. And the same is true if um, maybe we have a uh, partnership together and we both have partnership interests and we sign a partnership agreement and so on and so forth. But again, if I want to transfer that to somebody else, um, if there's a question as to the validity of it, as to the terms of it, as to um, you know whether it is in force or not, we're going back to paper as opposed to something that is uh, more reliable, which would be blockchain. Now, it doesn't magically get rid of disagreements, and, and this is something that people need to also understand, is y you, can, you can still have an agreement that says uh, you can't sublease the space, and just because somebody transfers an interest on the blockchain doesn't 
you know, suddenly invalidate the terms of the agreement. Um, on the other hand, it does open opportunities that wouldn't be there otherwise. Um, for example, let's say we were selling timeshares uh, or fractional interests in a property. Um, maybe we were sharing a house uh, in the Hamptons for the summer, like we used to do back in uh, in college. But we wanted to be able to make those interests liquid and tradable. It would be somewhat difficult to do it now, but if it was on the blockchain and the contract was uh, properly structured using uh, the right kind of technology, then it would make that property interest uh, much more transferable and easy to transact with. Um, and I think that creates an opportunity that we don't currently have in uh, current usage of, of property interests and, and property law. The way that you're um, saying that sounds so much to me like a, like a digital notary. Well, there, there, yeah, there's definitely a, a, a component of that is that it's, it's, you're able to validate the fact that somebody signed it when and where and in the form uh, that they said that they did. And that's really kind of what a notary does. Um, but, you know, let, let's say just as, a, as an example, um, uh, I was running a ski hill and I wanted to sell you a certain number of runs and allow you to purchase runs um, and then to resell them. Uh, maybe I'm going to sell you a thousand runs and you can sell them to people um, and you can kind of charge them a little bit more if you want to and those runs will uh, be valid for the next ski season and every time one of them is used you can't use it again. Right? Mm -hmm. with, with the traditional ski ticket it would be much harder to do that. I mean how would I? Right? Yeah. Whereas if, if, if the runs were uh, blockchain codes and we had a little app and you could transfer those codes to me, maybe I'm going to buy 100 runs from you and I'm going to hand some of them to my kids, um, you know, it would be no problem. And you would just hold your app up, uh, you know, when you or connect your app to your, um, your, your facial recognition uh, thing or something and, you know, it would, it would understand that those, that those runs have been used and it would allow you to sell them to me, and I wouldn't have to worry that you were selling me something that was bogus, and that when I showed up, you know, in Colorado somewhere with my kids and and, and a bunch of skis and, and new helmets and goggles and everything, that it wouldn't work. So that's a business model that would be difficult to accomplish with the current technology, but would be quite easy to do if the ski hill was running on blockchain. And so now we can think about maybe I'm going to, uh, instead of, signing a deal with WeWork, I'm going to have a certain number of times I can use the conference room um, or a certain number of days I can be in the office uh, or maybe I can, you know, take the whole floor from you uh, and I can essentially sublet it or cut it up into smaller portions that I can resell or transfer to people and they know that I'm doing something that's okay uh, and that I have the right to do it and that they'll be able to use the space and uh, take advantage of the, the, the protections and um, uh, liability insurance and power and connectivity and so forth that is part of the contract with the landlord. So it does kind of open up some, some new business models that would be much more difficult to accomplish um, without the ability to kind of gracefully trade or transfer property interests and not have to always be worried that um, it wouldn't be enforceable or that the person doesn't really have the right to do that. So 
definitely a lot of really cool possibilities on the horizon. And what, I, what I'd like to do now, if you don't mind, is um, tell me a little bit about what you've enabled at Boxer Property. What are some things that you're doing now? Because you've spoken of a lot of really cool possibilities out there in the future. Uh, but what's kind of already happening now? Sure. Um, and that, that's an, a, a, a great distinction because we hear a lot about the things that will happen and can happen in blockchain. And, and I love that stuff. I mean, it's, it's super fun to sit here and kind of think of ideas and to uh, imagine the way that the, the, the world will be. But a lot of the things that people are talking about now require uh, significant cooperation between multiple counterparties, many of whom will be working in a very different way than they are today. And so those kinds of things take time. You know, it's really a transformational um, a process that we're talking about, about the industry as opposed to something that we can do today. So I was uh, thinking about that and realized that there were some very important things that we could start doing immediately that utilize blockchain. Um, and probably the, the most significant one has to do with records relating to a property. Uh, so to to be clear about it, again, as, as mentioned before, there's, there's one way of, of providing records that involves storing things on the blockchain. So, for example, um, we could store our um, deed or a deed of trust or a lease uh, or something like that on the blockchain. And that's interesting, but you know, really doesn't, in the current business model, provide a huge benefit other than just you know, making sure we didn't lose something. Uh, on the other hand, there's another way that we can use the blockchain, which is to provide validation of records that we give somebody. And this takes a couple of steps to understand, but I'll start with the concept of a hash. So, the the um, and you may or may not be aware of this, I think you kind of are, but uh, for the benefit of anybody who's not, a hash is, is a way of taking a complicated piece of information and reducing it to one number. So for example, if I have a book, um, I could, for example, uh, count up the number of times the letter E appears in the book and then multiply that by the times the number, uh, the letter A appears in the book and then multiply it by the number of pages um, and so on and so forth. And at the end of it, I could have one number and it doesn't really matter how big that book is and we can make the number um, uh, kind of a, a normal size, if you know what I mean. And the thing that's interesting about that is that if I give you the book and, and you know the algorithm, then you should be able to generate that number um, anytime. If I give you the number, you're not going to be able to recreate the book. So it's a one-way street. Mm -hmm. um, however, if I give you another version of the book and I changed a few things in it, even if I changed one word, um, it, uh, it would result in a different number. So, for example, if I tell you this is the, this is the version of that book that was written in 1956, um, and I know there's many editions, but this is a first edition, and um, you know the text hasn't changed and it hasn't been modified in any way, um, you should be able to create that number, and it can match the number that we created back in 1956 and put on the blockchain, although that doesn't really make sense. And as a result, we're, we're using that hash 
to validate something, even though we can't use it to create something. And so that, that gets very interesting. What, what we end up doing is having a very small footprint of data that we put on the blockchain. And, be, and it's, in fact, we can make it even smaller than a hash because we do a hash of the hashes in something called a Merkle tree. And the, the, um, the mechanics of that are, are beyond the scope of this conversation, but the long and short of it is, is that if I give you some information about my property, you can check to make sure that that information existed in that exact same form when I said it did. And so an example might be, um, let's say I give you a, um, a utility bill from 10 years ago. You, you should be able to know that that utility bill was 100% accurate and that I'm giving it to you exactly the way I got it 10 years ago. Now, not super interesting for utility bill, but when we get to something like the foundation uh, level laser readings of a house where you know, we, we really want to know, hey, this house was built six years ago, and um, I want to know if the foundation has settled, and uh, someone's going to give me the, the, um, the information, but I want to know that it was totally accurate. That's something that we could do by taking a hash of that at the time it was created, putting the hash on the blockchain, and then giving you the, um, the ability to check that hash, validate it against the hash that you create today, now we know that the information was accurate. So basically what we're doing is we're taking thousands and thousands and thousands of data points. I mean, every work order, construction projects, capital stuff, bids, reports, so on and so forth. And what happens is automatically using a software system that we rolled out, um, those items are, we create a snapshot of those things. Uh, the snapshot then is used to generate a hash. The hash is stored on the blockchain, and the blockchain proof or the, the information that you need to validate it later is written back into the system. So basically, if I, if I hand you or if I sell you a property, then I can go through and give you all the property records and you know that they're 100% accurate, or at least that they were accurate in the sense that I'm giving them to you in the same exact format as they were created at the time that, that I'm representing they were created. So one way to think about this would be, for example, if I were to sell you a classic car, and I told you that we had kept track of every single thing we did, all of the maintenance records, all of the uh, replacement parts we put in it, who the mechanics were, so on and so forth, and I, and I gave you all that information, and you wanted to know uh, that it was that it was entirely accurate. That's that's what we would be doing. But you do it now on the scale of a property. And I think that this kind of thing, where not only are we now expecting people to have good information about what they've done on site, and there's many information systems that allow you to do that, but we should also be expecting people to give us validatable versions of that information so we don't have to um, rely on somebody's representation. We can cover the trust gap that way. And that's what we started doing at Boxer with blockchain. And what's great is that it's beyond, from what you said, it's beyond just validation, which is kind of what we talked about at the beginning. 
and validating that something that a title makes sense throughout the its life, but it's also seeing these timestamps of when things change and if there is any inaccuracies, being able to pinpoint that it's this specific part of the blockchain that has an error that you're able to kind of kick out to maintain the validity of what it is that you're storing. Yeah, the the idea is that that not only are we giving you a physical property, but we're giving you a a, a an information version of that property. And not only that, the information version is accurate. And to the extent that it's not accurate, you can discover the fact that it's not accurate very easily. And and I think, you know, if we think about how people purchase properties today, it seems kind of funny when you when you take a step back, but you realize that, you know, they're buying a building and, it, and they don't really know what's going on. The, the state of the records aren't great. And the extent that they are, it, it, it's hard often to tell whether it's accurate. Um, so that, that's what we're seeing is the ability to, to give somebody a digital representation of something and to be able to stand behind it and say that it's accurate. What, what I find particularly interesting in it about it is not, not just the fact that you can do that, but the impact that it has on culture. So for example, if um, if you're uh, a maintenance engineer and you're uh, going into a, a, a property and you know your your job is to check um, the, uh, the 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 balance of the fans, for example, and no one really knows if you're doing it or not. Well, that's that's fine. I mean, that's it's also you know we trust people in many ways, but if that person understands that the results of their balancing are are going to be recorded and viewable in the future and verifiable in the future it, it changes the understanding of accountability and i think that that cultural change becomes very important as well and and potentially has much bigger impacts than the the you know actual ability to uh, to validate something is for everybody to know that they're validatable so talk to me about blockers that you might see in adoption you know with some of these some of these categories that we've talked about haven't haven't currently been implemented but what what might keep other companies from wanting to introduce this kind of technology well when you say this kind of technology um i mean we've talked about a lot of things some of them as i mentioned require um, multi-party collaboration and cooperation around things so you know, if no one's going to buy my my um, lift ticket single run tokens from me, then it doesn't really matter that I have it. We have to create a marketplace, and um, and the ski hills have to uh, adapt to things and so forth. And if you know, if no one, no investor is going to give um, you know is going to give money on the on the strength of a blockchain property interest, then you know we have to all get there kind of together. And so that that's something the systemic changes have to happen in small increments and you know eventually they'll, they'll reach a tipping point and a lot of people will start doing it um, so so that's one kind of roadblock or, or mitigating factor for rapid adoption but I think when we look at things that we can do in a, in a single party stance in other words if, if, if I want to uh, blockchain all of my incident reports or my compliance um, you know, to the extent that there's compliance with things, maybe there's testing of something that I have to do. If 
from a regulated standpoint, and I want to I want to be able to validate that compliance on the blockchain. That is something that that a single party can do. The thing that stops people from doing it is that current systems don't really have an interface to um, to do this kind of stuff. In other words, if if I looked at um, some kind of work order system or a leasing platform or uh, an accounting system and said, hey, I would like to turn this on. Um, if the system doesn't have a way to do that, then the company has to go and develop one or find somebody who can do it. Um, now, in, in, in my particular case, we developed our own product, which, which we're now making available to other people. But that required having software developers and having a vision and and um, you know accepting the the expense of developing that thing, and many companies kind of won't do that. So I think it's up to the software vendor community to start doing these kinds of things um, and making them accessible to companies so they don't have to essentially develop uh, develop their own. Well, thank you, Justin, so much for joining me today. This is this has been a really interesting conversation on my end for sure and i i appreciate you taking the time today sure well thanks very much for having me and uh if you'd like more information on boxer property check out boxerproperty.com and for all things building success including past episodes please visit mrisoftware.com slash building success and until next time we will see you later